Well, good morning. It is good to be with you and to dig into God's Word together, especially at Christmas time as we continue in our series, Navidad, Why Jesus' Birth Still Matters. You know, if you just take a look at the world and the way it celebrates Christmas, sometimes you can begin to get convinced that maybe the true core of Christmas has been lost, but it has not. And we've already seen that there are several reasons why Christmas still matters today. In our first week, we saw that it matters because of light. The world that Christ came into so long ago was filled with darkness. And ironically enough, our world today is still filled with darkness and in desperate need of light. And there's no greater symbol of Christmas than when we light our trees and light our homes Some people light their sweatshirts, and we try to make light the theme, and we saw that that even 800 years before Jesus was born, God saw how dark the world was and how desperate it was for light, and he predicted through the prophet Isaiah that he would one day send light right when it was needed, right where it was needed, and so he did. And then last week, we saw the second reason why Christmas is still relevant today, and that is joy. We live in a discouraged world. We live in a place where people are disillusioned and depressed and in despair. I had a chance yesterday to pray as we were doing the food pantry, just going to the various cars that were here for food. If your car is lined up to get free food, you're probably having some difficulties. And that was reflected as I went from car to car with Terry, asking people, can we pray for you? And some people don't really know what to do with that, don't know how to handle that, and other people are very honest. And they started telling us exactly what their need was. And in some cases, it broke my heart when I heard what some of these people were going through. And it just reminded me how important it is that we find joy. And we're only going to find it in one place. And in fact, in one person. And we saw in the story of Mary going to visit her relative Elizabeth last week that joy was bundled up inside of her in the form of a little baby. And this week we're going to take a look at the third reason why Christmas is still relevant, and that is peace. We live in a time and in a place where peace is such a rare commodity. I find that many people that are in church on a regular basis, when you start talking to them and asking them of how they're doing, they don't have much peace. They're afraid. They're worried. They're anxious. If it isn't about something personally, it's about somebody that they love. One of the hardest things for us to do is to wait on God when we need something. And especially when the stakes are high and therefore we're scared. It's hard to wait on God. It's easy to give other people advice about waiting on God and believing what he says and being prayerful. It's another when it's you in the furnace. But I'm going to tell you that it is during those times that we can discover something about God that is the core of peace. And that is something I guarantee you that this city needs to know about. So I'm going to invite you to turn 
to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. We are going to fast forward from where we left off last week, just about ten and a half months. Mary has given birth to Jesus. She did it on the road. Some of you ladies that are moms, wrap your mind around that. It's one thing to be pregnant and need to give birth. It's another to do it while you're traveling. She's on the road because there was a census being taken, and she and her husband Joseph had to register, and so they had to go to their tribal homeland, to Bethlehem, the birthplace of David. They do, and there, in the back of an inn where there was no room for him, in a stable, is born the King of Kings. Well, after Jesus is born... Forty days afterward, actually, Mary and Joseph travel from Bethlehem up into the capital city of Jerusalem to go to the temple. They do it in order to fulfill what was commanded in the Levitical law. The Jews had been told by God through Moses that when you have your firstborn son, you're to bring him to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. And so they do. They travel there. Mary is also going to be offering a a sacrifice as a part of a purification ritual. And on the way to the temple, as they travel through this busy city, they encounter a pair of people who are really unusual. And we can learn a lot about the truth of Christmas through them. And so that brings us to our passage, Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Okay, get the picture. Here's Mary and Joseph, this young couple. She has her child, her firstborn, bundled up tight. They're moving through a bustling city. Jerusalem was as busy, as crowded back then as it is today. And they're moving through this community and they're trying to make their way through the narrow streets and to get to the temple to perform all of the religious rites that every God-fearing Jew would perform after giving birth. And as they're moving through and protecting their son, They finally get to the temple, and as they arrive, they meet someone, or maybe I should say someone meets them. His name is Simeon, and we're told about Simeon that he had been waiting for something for a very, very long time, something very important. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel was a religious hope that every God-fearing Jew had, and that was basically that God was going to deliver them. These were difficult times for the people of Israel. They were living under the iron boot of Rome. They had no say in their government. Their religious leadership was corrupt. Their political leadership was corrupt. There were soldiers marching through their streets. They were being taxed into oblivion. 
They were miserable. And they were waiting for what God had promised so long ago. But it had been so long that most of them had given up hope. You could talk about the coming of Mashiach. Remember from last week? The anointed one, the king, the Messiah. Some people were still hopeful for him. But for many, it had become the butt of a sarcastic joke. Oh yeah, I'm sure he'll be here at any time. People had lost their way. They were in despair. And there weren't too many who were genuinely waiting for him to show up. But Simeon was. We're told that he was righteous and devout. That is always the byproduct of believing what God says. If you want to know the difference between somebody who really lives in a way that's pleasing to God and the vast majority of people who give lip service but who don't, it comes down to what you really believe in your core. Does what God has said still ring true in your heart? Or are you like the masses who said, yeah, I'm sure he'll be here at any time? Kind of like today, isn't it? Ever met somebody, Jesus is coming back any time now. Get ready. And even people in the church are like, yeah, I'm sure he'll be here any time. Been a long while, though. Been over a couple of thousand years. You think maybe he'll show up soon because we sure could use him. Simeon believed that God was telling the truth. Not just in a sort of abstract theological way, but in a personal way, to the point where he was looking for him. And I'll tell you why in a minute. And we're told that the Holy Spirit was upon him, just like Elizabeth last week. Holy Spirit was on her, and what happened? She began to speak on behalf of God. She had an intimate relationship with God, and it was governing how she lived. Same thing here with Simeon. The Holy Spirit came upon him because he believed what God had said. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so now we're getting a little more specific as to what motivated Simeon. You see, Simeon had had the audacity. He had been just crazy enough to believe that this book was still true. That the things that were recorded in the Old Testament scrolls weren't just fine-sounding platitudes that religious people talk about but don't really believe. No, they were the essence of truth itself, the essence of life, because they had been spoken by the living God. And they never go out of fashion, no matter what anybody thinks or sees. And because he had had the guts, the faith to believe God, God revealed to him further something very special. At some point in Simeon's life, God says to him, not only am I going to send the Messiah just as I promised, but guess what, Simeon? You're not going to die until you see him. And so Simeon was walking the streets of Jerusalem looking for the Messiah, knowing, one, 
He wasn't going to die until he saw him, which would seem to indicate that Simeon was old. Do you, do you reassure a 20-year-old you're not going to die until you see the Messiah? No, because every 20-year-old thinks they're going to live to be 100. No, this is something you tell an old man who thinks he's ready to check out at any minute. You tell him, no, you're not going anywhere until you see the Messiah. That's the first part. Second part's even better. Beyond the fact that you're going to see him before you die, more importantly, that infers that you're going to recognize him when you do. You see, because Simeon might have seen Jesus and had no idea who he was. Is that possible? Well, I'll tell you what. Tens of thousands of people very likely saw Jesus in Jerusalem and paid no attention to him. Think about it. Today, we always like to think, oh, can you imagine what it would have been like to have been in Jerusalem, to see, to witness the nativity, Mary and Joseph with the baby Jesus swaddled up going through Jerusalem? I'll tell you what I would have been doing. I would have been marveling. I would have been standing. Get out of the way. Here comes the king. Really? Really? I got to tell you, I think Jesus could walk in here right now and probably most people wouldn't pay him much mind. We're going to find out more about that in a minute. But Simeon did. Verse 27. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, we'll stop right there. He was brought by God because he was under the control of the spirit into the temple. Jerusalem was a big city. It would have been easy to miss this Messiah that he had been told about. So God makes sure that he doesn't. I, I find that very reassuring. Most of the time, we spend our lives thinking that we're going to miss something. We're going to miss what God wants us to do. We're going to blow it because we're just thick-headed, and that's what we do. I'm so reassured by the fact that when we're seeking God, that's all he really expects. It's not a mystery. It's not a game. It's not hide-and-seek. When God wants you to do something, all he asks is that you seek him and listen up and watch. And he'll always put you right where you need to be. I hope that's a comfort to you. It's a part of his peace. And so now God reveals to him that the one he's been looking for is near. And so he immediately responds. He goes into the temple. Since he's going to have a conversation and Mary is there... And there were certain parts of the temple that women were restricted from going into. Matter of fact, there were lots of parts of the temple that only certain people could go into. So it's probably the outer court of the women. And we're told that Mary and Joseph were there just to do what the law had said. Which means that they were trying to do what God commands too. See, when God wants to do something, he always takes people that are willing to be obedient. So you got Simeon who's being obedient, you got Mary and Joseph and their baby who are being obedient, and he brings them together at a pivot point in history. Verse 28, he, Simeon, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, now just let's come back to the scene again. Here comes Simeon looking around, he's here somewhere, I know it, he's here, I can feel it, he's here somewhere. Here's Mary and Joseph, minding their own business, just trying to get to the temple. They've probably got their sacrifices ready to be made. Their child has already been circumcised, so they've kept the law. They're just making their way through the city. Watch out, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. They're making their way into the temple, which would have still been busy. 
Here comes Simeon. He's here. He, I know he's here. He's here. You're Mary and Joseph walking along. And all of a sudden, they meet like the, the old Reese's Cup commercial, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. They run into each other. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, Simeon's holding the baby in his arms. And we don't have any conversation about what happened. Now, it's possible he just walked up and said, there you are, and took him. But I doubt it. Because I, I think we would have, the next verse would have had something to do with a scrap, you know. Mary and Joseph pounced on Simeon and were beating him and, you know, you got my baby. So I, I suspect that Simeon probably came up to him and said, can I hold him? You moms have had that happen, right? If you've had small children. People walk up to you, sometimes strangers. Can, can I hold them? And you're always like, eh, I don't know, you know. Not sure about you, you look a little shady. Well, this guy apparently must have communicated that he was a trustworthy guy. So they let him hold the baby, and then he begins to speak and to say some astounding things. Tell you what, the best thing you can do at Christmas is seek to embrace Jesus. If you're looking for peace, that's where it starts. Verse 28. Or excuse me, verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. It's interesting. You're letting your servant depart in peace. What Simeon is saying is, now I can die. And now I can die in peace. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting, Lord, and wondering, are you ever going to keep your word? Here it is. Here it is in this little bundle. This tiny little baby is the answer, the solution, the king, the one. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen. How tragic how many people walked right past Jesus, right past Mary, right past Joseph and paid no attention because they had to get to their next business deal or they were on their way to visit family or they had something else going on and they just couldn't be bothered. They had a lot of problems, a lot of troubles, a lot of things on their mind and they walked right past the most important person in history. And wouldn't have recognized him. Two people do. Mary and Joseph visit Jerusalem with the Son of God. And two people actually see what's going on. But I'll, I'll tell you what, that is an indication as to the fact that you can be right next to what God is doing and still be clueless. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. It's interesting that Jesus wasn't just going to be someone that God would use to rescue Israel. He was the embodiment of the rescue, the incarnation of the rescue. Saving us was going to take everything Jesus had and everything Jesus was. To save us, there would be nothing left. Verse 31. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people. 
in the presence of all people, absolutely. Smack dab in the middle of Jerusalem is the savior of the world. Right in their presence, as the whole world around him is oblivious, here he is. The one that supposedly everybody was supposed to be waiting for, but in truth, few were. God had sent the one who was not just going to save Israel, but was going to save everybody. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Remember we talked about before how God was going to send light to the Gentiles, to the district, to the place where no God-fearing Jew wanted to live, where the lesser thans lived, the goyim, the outsiders, the dogs. God sent Christ for everybody. He sent him to be light to the Gentiles. You have to understand that at this time, most of the known world had no idea who Jehovah was. The only people who really knew who he was were God-fearing Jews. I mean just informationally knew about him. Most of the world, if they knew anything about him, they knew, oh yeah, that's the strange God of those strange people. But they didn't know who he is. I mean, think about that today. Everybody in the world knows who the Christian God is. They may not believe in him, but they know who he is. The cross that Jesus would die on is an international symbol now. Why? Because of what this little baby would do. What an amazing thing. That God sent this child to be a light to Gentiles so they could come out of the darkness and know who he is. They may not believe in him, but they at least know who he is so that they're without excuse. And for glory of Israel, well, the glory is the fact that they got to be the agency through whom God sent this amazing person. You and I owe the Jews a debt of gratitude for being the ones who made Jesus possible. God picked them through Abraham to be the one that he would generations later send the Savior. He's not just Israel's king, he's ours too. Verse 33, and his father and mother and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Marveled at what was said about him. Think about Mary and Joseph and everything that's been going on in their life. I mean, they've had a little bit of drama, have they not? First of all, Joseph just thought, I found a fine Jewish girl, just like mom said. We're set to be married, everything's good. All of a sudden, she shows up pregnant with a fantastic story. Oh, gee whiz, are you kidding me? I love her, but I, I, can't, I, I can't deal with this. He seeks to quietly put her away until an angel shows up and says, no, 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 no. No matter how fantastic her story sounds, it's true. And so they get together and they get married. I can only imagine the people that were in Joseph's ear. What kind of a fool are you? But he marries her anyway. Then they travel for this census that was unplanned and inconvenient. It wasn't like just you got on a plane or got on a bus and traveled somewhere. You had to walk. It took days. And you're traveling with your pregnant wife. You finally get there. There's no room because everybody else is there for the census. So you're not sleeping in a, even a seedy hotel. You're sleeping behind the seedy hotel where the animals are kept. 
Then you finally go into Jerusalem. You're trying to mind your own business. And here comes this wild-eyed old man who swipes your baby and starts talking crazy about him. Now, Mary and Joseph had believed what the angel had said and were acting in obedience. But, but I got to tell you, when God really starts to do amazing stuff in your life, it sometimes has to be absorbed in real time. There's the initial faith that you use to, to do what he says, but you're still sort of trying to wrap your mind around the enormity of it. Think about the enormity of it. We have been tasked with raising the Son of God, the Savior of Israel, the King from David. Why us? And strange things keep happening all the time. I bet they marveled. You read that word a lot. Mary, we're, we're told, she treasured these things in her heart. She's making her, her mom's scrapbook. I mean, she knew that her child was special because, after all, it's her child. But she, beyond that, is starting to see this baby has got some kind of a destiny. There's going to be some wild things happening. Verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And now Simeon starts getting to the truth because we can't have peace without truth. They're always together. And Mary had some bad news that she needed to hear. Simeon tells her this child is unique because he has been appointed to be the one through whom some people will rise and some people will fall and he will be a sign that will be opposed. Jesus not only performed miraculous signs throughout his life, but he was a miraculous sign, we're told uh, in Luke eleven thirty, that he was a sign, just himself. And you would think with somebody who was able to do all the miracles that Jesus was able to do, there wouldn't be much controversy. You know, I mean, he did miracles. He's the sweetest, kindest, most amazing, most transformative person. His teaching is like no one else's. You'd think there wouldn't be any controversy, and yet he was a polarizing figure. This little baby that you're carrying in your arms, Mary, he is going to divide the world. A sign that's opposed. I was thinking about that. I can remember when I was a kid. There were certain signs I didn't like. I drove a hot rod when I was in high school. I like to drive fast. I still do, heaven help me. I don't anymore, okay, and I obey the law. But, um, but I did like to drive fast. And on the odd occasion when I'm out where I can't hurt anybody, uh, I've been known to kind of go a little fast. One of the signs I hated when I was a kid was speed limit 25 miles an hour. I hated that sign. That is just too slow. I could walk faster than that. Hated that sign. Another sign I hated once I got into high school and I began to enjoy the, the taste of alcohol was I hated the sign that said, no alcohol to be sold to anyone below 21 years of age. Hated that sign. Now, now as an adult with small children, I love that sign. It ought to be 41. Kids don't have any sense. Put alcohol in them. They really don't have any sense. But when I was 18, I used to think, 
I'm old enough to vote. I'm old enough to go off to war and die. I ought to be old enough for Jim Beam. Hated that sign. Our reaction to a sign always depends on our predisposition. The way we look at a sign is always a reflection of who we are. Jesus was a sign who polarized people because of what he said. Not what he did, but what he said. Because what he said is at odds with you and I. We have a propensity to turn away from God because we want to live the way we feel like living and we don't like to be told otherwise. Not by Jesus, not by anybody. And that's why Jesus was a polarizing figure. That's why at the end, he was all by himself. There were a small handful of people who loved him, who had faith, who were devoted. But the vast majority of people were shouting, crucify him. I think maybe Jesus might not be as popular as you and I might think that he would be if he were to show up. Because he might have some things to say to us that we don't like. And based on how you respond to Jesus depends or it really determines when you die whether you're going to rise or fall. Verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. A sword will pierce through your own soul. This is prophetic. Mary has no idea. 30 or so years later, she's going to be standing at the foot of a gruesome Roman cross, watching her beloved son breathe his last and then suffer a final indignity of a Roman soldier pulling out his sword and running him through on the side to make sure that he's dead. And when that sword, I'm sure, entered Jesus' body, Mary could feel it the way only a mother can feel when her children suffers. And here's Simeon, years before, telling her, Mary, there's coming a time when you're going to feel that sword. What an amazing thing that God could tell her these things. And the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You know, during Jesus' life, he often exposed and angered people by letting their inner secrets be known. Again, we always get great laughter out of him exposing the Pharisees and telling them what's on their minds especially when they were being petty, prideful, and wicked. But I gotta tell you, I, I don't know that I would want some of my private thoughts exposed sometimes. Wouldn't it be fun if we had a machine where we could do that? Step on through, just like at the TSA at the airport. Hold your hands up, stand in place. And when we're done, we're gonna know everything you've had on your mind. I don't know that I would like that. But I'll tell you something, there's coming a day where it's gonna happen with all of us. And what I really find is that there are a few things today that can unmask who people really are than just the name of Jesus. You can talk about God all day long. But you start mentioning the name of Jesus and people start getting a little uncomfortable and sometimes a little antagonistic. Maybe not here in Texas, which is still God's country. But I'll tell you what, it happens where I'm from. The name of Jesus is a dividing line. It's a banner which side of it are you on? All right, how do we find peace from all of this story? Simeon did. He had so much peace that he was no longer afraid of the most frightening thing that anyone ever faces, and that is death itself. 
when Simeon holds this baby, he's good to go. Can you imagine having that much peace? Heck, I get freaked out just figuring out how I'm going to pay my bills. What's going to happen with my kids? Is this country going to be okay? What, what world are my grandchildren going to inherit? Oh, I can find 10 trillion things to worry about. Death, I, that's the big one. Here's Simeon in so much peace now. He's not even worried about death. Three things that make the difference. Number one is perseverance. Perseverance. We're told that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. If you're looking for peace, you got to hunt for it, dear ones. It isn't just going to rain down on you. And so many Christians make that mistake of thinking that just because we are Christians, we're going to have peace. You have to be looking for God's peace. And it is embodied in a person, in Christ. Isaiah 26.3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If your mind is focused on the Lord, if you are pursuing him with all you have, even when circumstances are swirling around you like a whirlwind, when you are singularly minded that I will hang on to Christ, I will search for him and find him through these circumstances, when you do that and you do it determinedly, you will have peace when it eludes other people. The second thing is presence. We're told in verse 28 that when soon as Simeon saw Jesus, mine, he wanted to hold him. He wanted to draw Jesus close. Beloved, as you make your final preparations for Christmas, look for Jesus. Look for him. And when you see him, rejoice and hang on. God told Moses in Exodus thirty-three fourteen, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. The closer we are to the Lord, the more peace we experience. And then lastly, promise. Verse 29 says, you're letting your servant depart in peace. This is Simeon speaking to God. According to your word. If you're looking for peace, it's always based on what God has said. If you go looking in the world, if you think that Oprah Winfrey has the answer, or Dr. Phil, or some book that you can read, or some in-law, or some friend at work, or some person on a podcast, if you think you're going to find the answer out in the world, nothing. The only peace you're ever going to find is in this book. And this book has some things to say that are uncomfortable, unpleasant, that call you to account. But if you will embrace them, if you will believe them, if you will act upon them, God's peace will surround you and carry you. And I'm going to tell you what. There is nothing that's worth more than that. Do you know how many places people are out there looking for peace in? Every bar I've ever seen is filled with people that are looking for peace. Every pharmacy. Relationships, people look for it there. They look for it in money. Sometimes they look in vain in church because they don't look in the right place. They look around instead of looking up. If you want peace, it's found in the promise of God. 1 Kings 8, 56. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people, Israel, according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. You want rest, you've got to believe what God says. All right. The most important thing that I would say to you as you're making your final prep for Christmas is just make sure you don't miss the Christ of Christmas. Christmas. 
There's so much bluster. There is so much nonsense that swirls around Christmas. Not all of it's bad. But I'll tell you what, sometimes it's hard to find the real Jesus in Christmas, even though it begins with his name. Sometimes it's easy to miss it. Sometimes it's easy to fall for a counterfeit. I heard a real interesting story. It surrounds a book that was written some time ago by a guy named Ron Chernow. Chernow is a author and a biographer and a historian, really. He loves history, and I love history, so this appeals to me. Chernow decided to write a book about one of the most famous generals in U.S. history, Ulysses S. Grant. And so he did a, a deep dive and studied and discovered that Grant at one point was actually working as a store clerk before he went into the military and became one of the most storied and brilliant battlefield tacticians that our country has ever known. And eventually, he became the President of the United States. It started back in 1863, in the middle of the war. Grant, who was a young general, had already led victorious campaigns at Vicksburg, Mississippi, and Chattanooga, Tennessee. His star was on the rise. And so because of it, Many, many northern leaders and politicians who months earlier had never even heard of U.S. Grant were all of a sudden wanting to meet him and have their picture taken with him because they felt like this guy was the Union's best new hope of victory. In October of that year, while Grant was on his way to a strategic meeting in Louisville, he was approached by the then Secretary of War named Edwin Stanton and the governor of Ohio, John Brow, to get together for a glorified meet and greet. In other words, to shake hands, to say nice things, and have picture taken so that you can make political hay out of it later on. Hey, look at me with Ulysses Grant. That doesn't go on today, right? Never? No, of course not. Grant and Staten had previously communicated with one another sort of informally through telegraph, but they had never set eyes on one another. When Stanton arrived, he breathlessly barged into Grant's boxcar, and he found a group of Union officers. Now, he'd only seen a grainy picture of him, so he had a basic idea of what he looked like, but not real specific. So he sized up the room, and he started asking himself, which one would be this great military leader, this great general? And suddenly he came across a man who was very stately looking and who had a beard and was wearing a brand new dark blue cavalry hat. So he walked up to the guy, began pumping his hand, and he said, how are you, General? Well, I would recognize you anywhere from your photographs. As he did that, a very ordinary man sort of emerged from the crowd of forgotten officers Dusty uniform, no hat, must hair. Came to Stanton, graciously took his hand, shook it, and identified himself as the real U.S. Grant. He then began to politely introduce him to the other officers in the room and eventually came to the person that he had been mistaken for and told him that this is actually my staff medical director, a man by the name of Dr. Edward, 
Edward Coteau. Staten, of course, sat there with egg on his face, very embarrassed that he had misidentified Grant, especially with photographers there to take pictures of him shaking the wrong man's hand. He later admitted when he was interviewed that of all the men in the room, the last one he would have thought was Grant was the guy who really was because he looked so ordinary. He wasn't the imposing figure that he had imagined. Dear ones, it is easy to miss the real Jesus, especially at Christmas. How many people walked past him in Jerusalem? I pray that you and I would have the eyes like Simeon had because we're looking for him. We're waiting for him. And we have the quiet reassurance of our hearts where God has said, I'm going to show him to you. Just seek me and I'll reveal him. As we're here today and if you're looking for Christ, as the music is going to be playing in just a minute, you're going to notice that there are guys standing off to the side here. They're not just standing here for no reason. They're there in case you want someone to pray with or to talk to, to get some encouragement. We invite you to come forward at your own pace and just, if you want to talk with them, you can do that. If you want to talk with me, I'll talk with you. I'll turn the mic off. You don't have to worry. But my prayer is that you'll do some meditating now and really make sure that you're seeking the Christ of Christmas because, dear ones, that's the only place you're going to find peace. Father, thank you for your word, which is truth. Thank you for these stories that take us back and show us what an amazing thing the nativity was. What an amazing thing that you should send your son to come as a small child and all of the vulnerability to reveal who you are to all of us. Glory for Israel, light to us Gentiles, hope for the world. My prayer this morning, if there are those here seeking peace, whose hearts are anxious, who are struggling and who would just like someone to pray with them or someone to encourage them. Or maybe they don't know Jesus and they want to know him. May they come forward now and find the only hope of Christmas. We ask in your name. Amen.